0: School of cast. Listen up, normies. It's time to talk some shit. This is a school cast where we talk holy shit about what it means to follow Jesus in the sacred chaos of the 21st century. My name is Benjo. I'm a 20-something anarcho-whatever pastor committed to creating safe spaces for figuring out faith, doing the work, and getting up to holy mischief wherever and whenever we need to. So for the next chunk of time, I'm just a talking head on a podcast, and you're listening to this for some reason, so good luck to you. Let's get into it. They threw co-opted brought him up soldier white juice is the prop they empire up bought the binary you rendered under caesar all cuz your cathedrals needed more cedar you sold up a table for cedar the table all for the major bill to hold the straws in your favor share gospel with the slaves with the six and the arrows with a sixth of the time holes with the barrel all hell to god a comfort convenience our this kind of hours okay that was loud um I took a week off from work today. Isn't that just peachy keen? It's great. And yesterday I did a lot of baking. Just baked through some recipes um, from uh, Chairman Claire Saffitz's Dessert Person book. And it's a really good book. And everything in it was really good. So now I'm recording a podcast episode. I dropped one last night. <sighs> uh, laughing like that actually took the breath out of me. So give me a second. I'm going to take a sip of this tea. It's not tea, actually. It's um, some Meyer lemon honey vinegar that I made and hot water. And it's delicious. Also too hot. Oh, shit. Um, but yeah, after this, I'm going to go. Have some breakfast. It is only uh, 9, and I'm going to go to this breakfast place at 10. (sighs) Uh, Yep, so a really good day, and uh, I'm not going to do any work this week. This is not work, this is fun for me. Um, It's too hot to do an ASMR, but I'm going to try it just for you guys. Fucking content pigs. Why it is hot? Uh, I just burned my throat. I just burned my throat. Okay. Um, welcome to the Scubla Cast. My name is Scoobla Paul, a.k.a. the guy who's off this week, <clears throat> AKA, a.k.a. hotboysummer.com blogspot. USA. So um, things are feeling pretty good, Town USA, this week. Um... The podcast will be, um, I think, a pretty fun, like, little mini series. I'm gonna record one on the road. I'm going to be in Canada for a bit for doing a wedding. Um, but I, I think this will be a fun little series. Um, once again, this is the Scuba Cast, where at least for the time being, we're talking about how to gauge with systems the system of capitalism theologically and ethically. Um, I guess you could say from a faith perspective, excuse me, I'm so sorry, I am so sorry, Um, without further ado, let's get fucking into this, Uh, uh, you guys have heard this before, I'm just gonna read some of this back to you, this is such a turn from the burp I just (laughs) did, but this is why you come to the fucking podcast, so, you know, get over it, Um. Everyone will know you are my disciples if you hold all things in common. I can hold all things in common through Christ who gives me strength. These three remain, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these things is hold all things in common. Y'all, we're coming up on, I started this podcast in 2020, and I wasn't super regular about it then, but now we're sort of in the thick of it, and I'm just happy to have cultivated a small little community of, of, with you guys, of people who have been listening and have been talking about what it fucking means to try and live life and maybe do faith um, together as we try and navigate this ever-changing um, ecological system that we are a part of and hopefully changing it for, for the better for, our, for the generations to come at least participating in that work personally i'm constantly being challenged and and reformed and renewed and and proven wrong by the work and i just wanted to kind of be earnest a little bit and name what a joy it's been in my life to know so many of you now and many of you i've never met but you guys are my friends um because of the the connection that's been fostered by this Void. That's the internet, um, and I'm not only am I having a lot of fun doing this, but I'm also driven to create the podcast because I I hate unnecessary suffering and agony, and what the Christian faith has always been to me, or at least let's not say always, what the Christian faith has been to me in the most formative and transformative parts of my life is the part about transforming violent relationships, cultures, and systems of this world into new, more life-affirming and liberative ways of being in a relationship. And so that's what this whole next little chunk of the pod is going to be about. I don't know that I'm doing seasons anymore. Right now we're just into a perpetual season two. I'm just saying shit now. And this little chunk is going to be about transforming relationships. And a few things before we get rolling. Um, if you're a regular listener... Thank you. If you're financially able, please support a mutual aid group in your neighborhood. Um, I run a mutual aid group in MacArthur Park where we do breakfast and uh, vax clinics and hygiene kits and um, survival gear distribution every Thursday, and we try and support other mutual aid groups doing other days of the week, so we try and canvas MacArthur Park for the whole week. Um, I don't want you to support a patreon don't uh what i would like you to do is put um uh the like respect the ton of hours and energy that i put into this stuff and um channel your efforts and energies towards the people who need it most that's what this podcast fucking about right and so as much as as much as As much work as I put into this thing, we cannot talk about radical Christianity and anti-capitalism without entering into embodied solidarity with our neighbors. So whatever you think that's worth, please, please join and support. And if you donate, send a receipt to me and, um, I don't know, uh, I will do something with a receipt or just like, tell me that you did it and I'll be happy to hear it. Um, I I want this resource to be free so that people who can't afford it or people who don't have the time because they have to spend work hours working uh, to make a living and to survive and they don't have enough time to read books or whatever, I would like, um, regardless of your situation, for information to be made accessible to you. Um, And hopefully that spurs you on to to participate. Um, That's it. Uh, that's all I have to say about that. Um, another way that you can support is by showing this to your trad friends. I want them to get a little bit riled up. I'm trying to be a provocateur here as much as I'm trying to be like a, like a, um, a synthesizer of information of all this leftism and Christianity that we can get our hands on. So I mean, that's a great idea. Send, um, links to your friends, friends of the pod, friend links, send, friends to link friends. Good. Awesome. <laughs> that made sense. Um, uh, and then we can also work out like things that if if there's a way I can support you in your individual uh, journeys through this material, please DM at scubla Posting on Instagram. Okay. That's all done. Finished. Now we can get into this thing. Today we're starting a new series called Uh, so you think you can change the world? I don't know. I don't know what the thing is called. Um, actually it's called (laughs) demon time. No, um, uh, I had maca root chocolate instead of coffee this morning. And this is a different kind of energy. Um, I think I'm turning into a werewolf. Um, okay. Okay. Okay, we're going to get into this i've set up already a few interviews where i am talking with people i didn't record those interviews because i don't like the social interaction my like real life social interaction <laughs> on display for people but i I'm, I'm happy to synthesize these things um but we're we're going to try and for this series talk about the whole idea of holding things in common. Um, I'm super excited to share about some of the conversations that we've had, that I've had that um, have really formed and shaped the way and like given new dimension and facet to the way that I think about um, embodied community solidarity. And so, what you will get on the pod is a mix of monologues and my rants, um, like we're going to do today, and then synthesize, thin, synthesize, synthesis. <laughs> of of conversations that I've had but we're going to be reflecting on how our interpretation and analyses of these texts in in acts um, about holding all things in common could reshape how we see and relate to one another today and so much has already been said about these texts um, in acts 2 and acts 4 um, especially in relation to things like capitalism socialism anarchy and communism and I'd like to invite you to think about these passages in their potential implications for us today, perhaps in a new light. So um, just so you know where we're heading, a brief uh, overview is we're going to dive into these two passages, um, and uh, that the, the diving into the two passages was based on a book by Robin Montero called All Things in Common, um, so check that out. And then after that, we're going to engage in primitivism and hyper-individualism and uh, today's mainstream theologies, ideologies, and economic theories surrounding these. And then we're going to compare charity service and advocacy-based relationships to solidarity-based relationships. Um, Then the next episode, we'll question whether or not redistribution should really be our end goal. And then to wrap the whole kind of chunk up, I want uh, to invite you to bury myths and dreams of uh, exceptionalism, whether they be us as individuals. Uh, Christians or us as Americans and bury those things in the ground and leave them there for good. Um, Of course, for others, but also for our own personal liberation and well-being and holding all things in common. I think it's going to be a fun time and I hope it will contribute to your transformation of your faith because it, it did for me and it continues to today. So ASMR portion of the podcast. Fuck, it's still hot. Uh, Shit. Uh, Okay. Uh, Now, uh, for a reading from the Bible. Um, In Acts 2, uh, 42 through 47, we read, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. All came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common, and they would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to and to all as any had need. Um, day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. And here's Acts thirty. Uh, 4:32 uh, through 35 Now the whole group of those who believed were one heart and soul and no one claimed private ownership of any possessions but everything they owned was held in common with great power the apostles gave their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all There was not a needy person among them for as many as owned lands sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold they laid it at the apostles feet and they distributed to each as any had need Now, these texts are straight up disturbing for those of us who have been raised under more private forms of capitalism, like we know here in the U.S. It's like, what do you mean the apostles didn't make profit for themselves and then reinvest it on a new scheme to expand capital? You mean they didn't properly invest? the money? <laughs> like, what the hell does it mean to have everyone's needs being met? So they're saying the bottom line is need-based instead of profit-based, and then everything else above that uh, is, above re- is, is about relationships and the joy that comes from sharing and communal well-being. I mean, this is really weird stuff to our capitalist-informed uh, hearts and minds. Most sermons and theological reflections on these texts either dismiss the claim that Uh, that the early Christians did, in fact, hold all things in common, or they suggest that whatever happened was short-lived and mostly insignificant to the life of the early church, or we don't really address that, or we say, isn't that crazy, and then move on. Even most biblical scholars today continue to write off its possibility for reasons we'll address in in further episodes on economic practices of the early Christians. I get all the seeming contradictions that tend to pop in our 21st century heads when we read these first century texts, but let's pause all of those like pondering the contradictions for now, because I think it might be more helpful to start somewhere else in this introductory episode um, um, that goes to consider uh, not how they held all things in common, not how they held all things in common, but what it meant to hold all things in common. And in the end, I'd like to invite you to sit in the urgency of the moment in which we find ourselves living today, uh, 2022. Uh, Okay, so What did it mean to hold all things in common in the world of the early Christians, and uh, why is this conversation so goddamn important for followers of Jesus today? Quick side note, I don't think we should pretend or even try to simply mimic or copy what the early Christians did or thought. First of all, it's impossible, because we live in a very different context in which we must ask altogether different questions. Um, and they would be incredibly insufficient to simply do what they did in our now capitalist global order. Um, Holding all things in common was not an attempt to address the organization of relationships like at our places of work through which all goods and services are produced. So this is not like a, a structural reorganization. But neither will living in small groups radically together internally shake the foundations of the world, which is in a rupture. We are in desperate need of, yes, let's reorganize our communal relationships and revolutionize our collective values, but we have to understand that creating isolated individual communities, as radical as they internally might be, it's not a strategy for confronting the systemic sins of capitalism and then realizing a more democratic, life-affirming, and alternative end. So, Now I want us to ask, what did it mean to hold all things in common in a world in which it was uncommon, right, for all things to be shared in trust, in friendship, and mutuality? What does it mean to radically affirm the inviolable dignity of every human being in a world in which social hierarchies ripped people apart and divided them into groups of more or less importance, more or less beauty, more or less person? Because While holding all things in common did have implications for possessions, I would like to suggest that this practice was more so about relationship, how people were to relate to material things, how people were to relate to others, how people were to relate to themselves, and how people were to relate to God. And so if you hear one thing from this I was going to say clusterfuck of an episode, but it's not that bad. It's okay. Uh, From this beginner uh, entry point into this little chunk of time on this pod, I'd like the, the one thing that you take is to hold all things in common for the early Christians was to embody and pursue a new and alternative way of being in relationship holding all things in common com- <laughs> fuck holding all things in common was about establishing an alternative world and this alternative way of relating to self and to others undermined and resisted and prophetically condemned the normalized sin of the world in which they lived it seemed like extreme material inequality, the coexistence of luxury and poverty, the numerous social hierarchies sustained with the threat of constant violence in the rationalization of human suffering through state politic. The early Christians held all things in common, knowing that the system was fucking rigged. The values and relationships of the Roman social order did not align with the values and relationships in which they believed. In the, in, uh, uh, the God of Jesus called them to realize the outcomes of the economic, political, and religious status quo, right? It did not align with the life they believed Jesus wanted both Jew and Gentile to know. Mass suffering that resulted from social hierarchies, military domination, political repression, and the priori- prioritization of familial wealth and power over the meeting, the meeting of people's needs was not a part of Jesus' eschatological vision. The world in which they lived was not set up to bless all people as their faith compelled them to do. Its structures and values were made to serve the interest of the few, and some of those few belonged to these churches. And many of the many also belonged to these churches right? And that's exactly what happened. No matter how hard the masses tried, the system was rigged against some even more than others. And so the early Christian is called to reject the unjust, exploitative, oppressive social order and reject its fucking sinister creed of suffering and inequality. The practice of holding all things in common that we read about in scriptures was not lived out in a world where the essential dignity of all was defended, or the flourishing of every person was valued above the right to accumulate labor and lands of other peoples. No, they they held all things in common and trust in trust and solidarity amidst concentrations of fucking power and concentrations of wealth and violence and state power and on the other hand, concentrations of unnecessary anxiety and agony communities would be crushed in the name of pax romana or peace. And the people are constantly being displaced Ripped from their homes, enslaved by their lenders and creditors, denied access to the most basic means of survival by those who could, over time, possess those things for themselves. And so, amidst the hierarchies and unmet needs, amidst the rationalizations that said this suffering and inequality was divinely ordained by the gods, or perhaps was simply the way things were, the early Christians saw in the life and witness and teachings of Jesus a bold calling to embody in the now, in the now, the present, tangible now, a radical, more life-affirming way of being in relationship to one another. It was their attempt to incarnate what they believed their God would more um, fully realize in the future. But there's one last point I'd like to make about this. According to the scriptures, this alternative way of being in the world constituted, um, define what it meant to be a follower of the way, to hold all things in common. And as we'll discuss more in our next episode, this was no short lived experiment. It was no insignificant sideshow to the, uh, to the other real world and witness of the early church. You know, contrary to what many of us have been raised to see, uh, to have been a Christian, to have been identified as a believer, to have been a participant in the resurrected body of Christ. You had to hold all things in common. It was so central that it was how you knew whether they were Christians living in that community or not. Friends, as the early Christians once embodied and pursued a subversive and more liberative way of being in the world, we too must begin to democratically envision and pursue a more life-affirming world for all. And this alternative world must not try to incorporate, incorporate itself under capitalism or play ball. Capitalism subordinates everything and everyone to its primary concern, its ultimate role, as we've said in another series, its first and greatest commandment. The Endless maximization of profit compels capitalists to devour the rest of us, and it drives working people to depend upon the very system that violates their own bodies and minds. It pits humanity against itself like an auto-cannibalism, and against the rest of beloved creation. It tricks the masses of all nations into thinking that we all have a shot equally The system is designed to give that shot to us. If we only individually work hard enough and are smart enough with our own money, and it does all these things and more because capital cannot fucking help itself. It is the invisible hand, that demonic force that is just fucking vile and, and twisting our relationships. So capital cannot help itself. It is not trying to work all things for the good of all people, which is to say for the glory of God, but for the pockets of those who are already rich. And if the early Christians did hold all things in common in response to a world defined by gross inequality, social relationships, sustained by constant threat of violence, and concentrations of both power and wealth, well then for a moment let's just look at but a few of the inequalities and hierarchies and a justice system in our own world. We'll start in the U.S. and zoom out from there. There are three white men, just three individuals, who during a very short period of time have come to collectively own more wealth than the bottom 115 million U.S. Americans. That is half of the country's entire fucking population. It is legally theirs, the wealth. They own more than the bottom 115 million other people it's legally theirs. Try and get your head around that reality. Um, They have accumulated billions of dollars. So consider this. Um, I work multiple jobs. This is my, like, sort of like a Sabbath birthday week. I'm not working at all, just getting riled up about money. But um, I work multiple jobs. For one of my jobs, one of my jobs, the only reason I have multiple jobs is because this is not enough um, to survive. Uh, so for one of my jobs, after healthcare is taken out of the full-time paycheck, I will make a little less than $16,000 this year. Now, maybe you make $30,000 a year after, $50,000 a year after, $80,000 a year after. I don't care. Let's just say you, you make $100,000 last year. Do you know how many years it would take you to make a single billion? Not a $100 billion, not $60 billion every year, just one single billion, it would take you 10,000 years to make a single billion. But these capitalist elites don't just own one billion. As of October 2022, they collectively possess 576 billion as the wealth they have accrued. And Even, hell, even if you make $200,000 a year, you'd still have uh, $855,000. I don't know, I'm not really that good at math, but (laughs) that's too many years. It would take you that long or more to accrue the money that Jeff Bezos has illegally stolen up until this very moment. This man is fucking vile. While meanwhile... Through the pandemic early years, I live in California, and every Thursday I look into the eyes and grasp the hands of human beings who have been disposed of by this world, with their faces scarred and tired and sunbeat from sleeping on concrete or in tents under, under overpasses or um, in medians. Not just a few people, but thousands and, but but even then, just because someone is housed doesn't secure a dignified living situation. You have adults living in your town and in your city, sleeping on the floors of their apartments and their houses, or maybe sharing tiny worn-out mattresses with their kids. We have over 40 million U.S. Americans who week in and week out are hungry. I hadn't realized it until recently, but my whole life has been shaped by food insecurity. I remember some of my classmates in junior high and in high school in, uh, in, in, Carson, which is it's a mix of 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 demographic, but lots of Filipinos. Um, And I remember going to school with a little bit of snacks, um, and then uh, and then having to like ask for some snacks from my friends. Um, And I didn't know it at the time, but a gross number of college students are increasingly studying and working hungry and homeless in in California and now I'm a grown ass adult in Los Angeles, California. Um, and my co-workers have kids and they have grandchildren and some of them are going hungry. And and then there's healthcare people, the mass the vast majority of people who are working people, workers with debts and indented workers, indebted workers with skyrocketing rents are afraid to get sick to just be regular human. And I know I'm afraid to be sick because people can't afford to get sick because they can't lose out on the wages. And if they're able to take time off work, then they feel the anxiety of spending what little savings they have on the doctor's visits, medications, and procedures. We privately, individually spend more on healthcare than any other country in the world. And the unbelievable cost of this profit-driven, market-based healthcare system has ended, ended up leaving some 45 million people in this country uninsured, many of which are our elders others are single parents. What a fucking disgusting injustice. And we've talked about talked about this a bunch before, so I'll keep this one short. Over the last 40 plus years, profits have continued to soar. And along with soaring profits and worker productivity, the incomes of the top income earners have skyrocketed. Like 578 billion in the pandemic. That's like an unimaginable amount of money. But despite workers producing more and more profits, the real wages of workers have gone nowhere. They have stayed stagnant unless you're in the bottom 10% of income, because if you are in the bottom 10% of income earners in the United States, then it's actually declined. You've seen the charts. It looks like a crocodile um, mouth with our incomes shooting straight up to the right, while the top five have their, ins- their, their lines shooting higher and higher farther and farther away from our grasp. Where did all that value we produced and our parents and our grandparents produce, why did it go into the pockets of the richest fucking capitalists? But none of this is race or gender neutral, right? In terms of lost housing and wealth, it was black households that suffer the most from the... uh, Capitalism, the 0708 induced economic crash, capitalist induced economic crash, according to a record uh, a report on racial economic inequality by inequality.org, the racial wealth gap has increased over the last three decades. As of the 2016, um, the median white family owned 22 times the median uh, Latinx family does. 22 times the wealth. But wait, the median white family owned 41 times that of the median black family. 41 times. 37% of black families now live with zero or negative wealth, while 15% of white families have zero or negative wealth. And the same inequality.org report reports that. We find that the average cumulative college debt for black female graduates with a bachelor's degree um, between 2015 and 2016 the debt was just over 30000 It was less than 20000 for white males. And across all racialized groups, females always graduated with greater amounts of debt uh, than males before entering into a capitalist economy where females have forever made less than males. While I could stop here, I have a few more things that I want us to name, right? Remember, we're looking at this because the early Christians held all things in common in a world um, of social hierarchy, material inequality, violent top-down relationships, and concentrations of power and wealth. And they held all things in common. So before we can figure out what we need to do in our world, we have to really see the depth of systemic and structural sin that our social order is built upon. Let's briefly talk about policing and imprisonment in the U.S. An unusual statistic that many are not familiar with, uh, is there is, uh, There are some 800,000 whites in cages right now. I'm not even including those on probation and parole. This white supremacist nation has tricked people who think themselves as white into believing that the cops in the justice system is on their side. But near, near a million whites who are currently caged up away from their families and communities suggest a different story because the vast, vast majority of incarcerated persons were making poverty wages when they got locked up for the first time. They were already living in poverty, working in poverty, and they got punished for being poor. And as Michelle Alexander helped me see for the first time, when I was um, uh, a graduate history student, um, I learned that Working poor, black, Hispanic, and indigenous persons are disproportionately having their front doors kicked down in the middle of the night. The communities are aided by militarized police forces. Their young males are being snatched from their families. The women being sexually harassed and abused by cops now stack up capitalism, white supremacy, and heteronormativity all together. And you get this. One out of every two trans black women spending a portion of their life in prison. 50% of all black trans women in this country will be caged. And in large part, the imprisonment and policing patterns inside the U.S. are a reflection of America's original affection. The original fucking hard-on that America has. It's a love for imperialism, in the name of democracy and freedom in Jesus, in the free market and the right to privately accumulate and own whatever and whomever we so pleased. The U S spent the first century and a half fucking invading, fucking invading the nations. Our history is invading the nations of indigenous peoples who lived West of the border. And then we took small islands surrounding our, our borders. And then this is my, um, fucking, okay. After the Soviets who were the primary reason that Nazi Germany was defeated, In world war ii it wasn't the u.s it was the soviets in the sheer amount of people that they threw at the war um so much loss of life after the soviets were the primary reason that nazi germany was defeated in world war ii the u.s fucking expanded our military might with a fierce anti-communist fervor even though they're the reason we won And they set up military bases across the world, but particularly around Russia. And now we're doing the same around the rising economic power of China. We self-proclaim the divine right to replace other countries' leaders with people who will bow to the global order to our global order. That's a practice we continue to act upon in Central America, South America, in the Middle East. We are a fucking torturous nation. We tortured the uh, African and African-American slaves and indigenous captives for the first good chunk of our very short history. And now we torture people in solitary confinement, in prisons, turning their minds into mush. We train swaths of forces in Central and South American countries on how to torture people who were fighting for their own liberation. We assassinated Catholic priests who were fighting uh, for um, their people's liberation, and now we torture anyone who we deem a war criminal. We surveil our people. But the domestic and global war machine is not disconnected from the hierarchies and inequalities we know at our places of work and in our communities across the world. We work at places where the few govern the body and the minds and the energies of the many. Our capitalist places of work are undemocratic. They are authoritarian, and the absence of democracy at work leads uh, uh, leads to concentrations of wealth and power in our communities. And the unevenness of capitalist development in our own communities has spread to the global uneven development. Capitalism has concentrated wealth in some parts of the world and concentrated agony in others. The lack of democracy and the lack of mutuality, the lack of Um, The absence of a shared sense of humanity in our workplaces and in our communities, in, uh, in our countries, will forever be a permanent reality within a capitalist global order. Displacement, gentrification, and being ripped from your community is happening in rural America and it's happening in urban America. But it's also happening in certain parts of the world, disproportionately forcing people living in some countries to flee to others. We're living it right now. Yemen, Syria, Ukraine, Russia, China, but perhaps the two greatest threats of our species as a whole are environmental disaster and the rise of fascism. We all hear that the center is falling out and that people are swinging left or right, but what's really happening is that Uh, The promises of capitalism, its promises of an easy and good life, its promise that any person can become wealthy if they just work hard enough and are individually responsible enough, those promises are having the floor fall out from beneath them. It happened about a century ago, and it's happening again today. People are coming to two conclusions. One group is saying, we need a strong man to protect the purity of our culture, the purity of whatever religion and purity of our nation. We need that media to protect us from groups of marginalized people who are killing our economy. That is what the right fascist tendency is swinging towards. But another group of people are saying there is a systemic problem here that's profoundly contributing to the reality that people are feeling alienated, lonely tired, economically stressed, and strapped for cash. They're being pitted against one another with different social constructs affecting them. There is a structural problem that is exacerbating and causing so many people across the nations to suffer. Then part of the problem there is capitalism. It's its anti-democratic, exploitative class structure at our places of work. It's the concentration of wealth throughout our countries. It's pitting nation against nation. It's prioritization of profit over people, stigmatized groups of people are not the problem. Capitalism is a structural problem. And then just this past week, I saw that Antarctica logged its hottest temperature on, on record. The earth cannot continue to allow us to live here if we continue to allow capitalism to persist, unchecked, unchallenged. Humans cannot both treat one another and the planet primarily as instruments and means for endless profit maximization, and then hope to call this planet home for much longer fascism and climate change threaten humanity like never before. It's so the early Christians believed that another world was possible and they were mocked for it. They were laughed at and they were tortured for it. But they also realized that as followers of the way, they could not help but give their lives to the pursuit of a realization of a radically more beloved community in a world of hierarchies and inequalities and violence that early Christians were held, were led to hold all things in common. Friends, thank you so much for listening to the pod, and thank you to those of you who are continually um, listening and then stepping into embodied solidarity with your communities. Thanks for believing in the work and that you believe that there is another world possible. Um, If you found today meaningful, you know, send it to some folks. Um, Burn Babylon down.